You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen. Welcome to church, everyone. Glad to see you here this service. So glad all those watching online, too, maybe in overflow right now. So thankful you are here, man. I'm praying God's going to do something special in your heart. And uh, on that note, let's get our Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, this is a very, very, very important day to have a Bible. I pray that you do find a way to have a copy of God's Word. And as we start this message today, getting back into 2 Timothy, our series, I want to start with a quote I've always loved. It's this, um, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. A Bible that's falling apart usually, usually belongs to someone who isn't. Uh, That's so true and so good because so often, again, it is just that, so true. Psalm 119 verse 92, the psalmist says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If I have not loved the word of God, I would have died. I would have perished within the affliction that I suffered, says the psalmist. Here's our bottom line today from 2 Timothy chapter 3. In our verses, really verse 15 to 17, the bottom line is this, our thesis, our big idea is this. Listen, you cannot live the Christian life apart from the Word of God. Um, It is that simple. It is that profound. It is that important. I'll say it again. You, You cannot live at least an effective, fruitful, sincere life in Jesus Christ apart from the Bible. It's just impossible because God's Word has been written That fruitfulness might be seen from our lives. We're going to see that exactly in our text today. It's going to be very, very clear. Why is that true? Because here's why. Here's our sermon title. Because God wrote a book. This just in, loved ones. God wrote a book. You should read it. It's really important. God wrote a book. And that means that this is, look here, look here, look here. This is the book of books. There's just just no other book like it. You might, you might... (laughs) You might want to put your whole life against this book. You might hate the fact that they're even talking about the book, and yet the, the, the history says, again, you can't disprove the fact. There's never been a book like this. And maybe you claim to follow Christ, and you, and you believe that you're a Christian in the Lord. That, that Listen, not without this book. Look here again. Everyone at home right now, like overflow, look right here. This is a supernatural book. That was a good spot for an amen. Come on, 1015, let's go now. Thank you, thank you. Okay, okay, that warmed me up a little bit. Here we go, right? It really, really is. I mean, again, again, you, you, you cannot refute that. How many people have tried to get rid of this and burn it and, and demolish it, yet they've gone and here it is. Here it is, changing lives across the world yet again today. The book of books, it's the word of God. It's the Bible alone who tells us who God is and reveals to us what God has done in redemptive history. It's the word of God that steers us from error. It grows us in sanctification. It renews our minds, supernaturally cleanses our minds to think according to the wisdom of God. I believe it was John MacArthur who said this. He said, some books can change your thinking. Only one book can change your nature. Amen. And that is why then the Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. As we come to our next passage in 2 Timothy, we come to one of the most important passages in the New Testament, listen, regarding what the Word of God says about the Word of God. 
And remember, to our entire context for 2 Timothy, Paul is preparing Timothy to fight the good fight. Timothy, you got to be ready to fight the good fight. And the single greatest weapon we have as followers of Jesus Christ is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6 tells us. The one offensive weapon we have in uh, joined with prayer, again, is the very Bible itself. And once again, once again in Scripture today, we have Paul placing the highest possible emphasis on the Bible. Paul is stressing to Timothy the absolute power of the Bible and his 100% reliance on the Bible. He's like, Timothy, if you're going to make it, man, if you're going to make this, with all the false teaching and all the opposition and all the people that will hate you and all the suffering that that is required to truly follow Jesus Christ, you do not stand a chance apart from this book. Hey, you're here today right now. You're trying to go in Christ. Listen to me, please. Please, please, I beg of you. You cannot effectively live the Christian life apart from the word of God. You can't do it. And you say, why not? We're going to find out in just a couple moments. The whole passage today, it's telling us that reality. It grieves my heart. I literally shed tears over the amount of people who claim to follow Christ and have no authentic relationship rooted in the word of God. It makes me grieve my heart. The amount of churches that are closing the book, diminishing the truth of the Bible, and somehow think they're going to be blessed. I don't get it. I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. In fact, we look at passages like today, when you seek to do that, it's the dumbest thing I can think of. It's, it's biblical insanity. It's not biblical at all. Yet it's such a massive issue in our day. Why, why? Listen, listen, ready? If you lose the truth, you lose everything. If you lose the truth, there's nothing else to stand on. Then you're just floundering out there in your own thoughts and worldly ideas. The authority of God is written down in the book of books in the Bible. He's, Paul's saying to Timothy, and this is so important too, Timothy, and listen, listen, listen. Timothy, you must be convinced of the truth about truth. I'll say that again. Timothy, you must be convinced of the truth about the truth, the Bible, the word of God. The Christian life's foundation is built upon the truth of the truth. And the truth of the truth begins with this. Ready? God wrote a book. God wrote a book. That was a good spot for an amen. Thank you at the back somewhere. Thank you at the back. So yeah. And, and what we see here is that, listen, when you have a message like this today, like, like get ready for the spiritual warfare. Here we go. Let the spiritual battle begin. Satan is so afraid of passages like this. He's so afraid of messages like this because he knows everything, everything rests on it. Everything rests on it. So let the spiritual battle, some of you even right now sitting here right now, maybe front, maybe at the back somewhere, and right now there's this battle raging within you right now because Satan's so afraid of this. Bring it on in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's a good spot for an event as well. Okay, no, listen, a message like this, it comes, it's very, very important. And if we are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have every reason to revere the Lord through his word. So what I'm going to ask you to do right now, I'm going to ask you as I read a passage, I'm going to ask you to stand, stand with me to do this out of reverence for the, for the word of God. And actually, everyone home right now, I mean, I, I really encourage you. If you're at home right now, I encourage you to stand. You're like, I'm in my PJs. Stand up, man. Let's go. All right? 
And I really encourage you, if you're in overflow right now, just in honor of the word of God, I pray your heart is connected with this right now. But th- this is how sacred that this text is and this book is that we hold in our hands to. God wrote a book, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse. let's start verse 14. Uh, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, notice, which are able to make you Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Father, we pray right now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I beg you, I beg you, O God, would you do just that? Would you take your word and would you use it, Lord, today for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men and women of God may be complete and equipped now for every good work. Lord, I just, I know how important this is, and I know you know, and so I pray you will choose to bless in ways that maybe some have never expected or anticipated, even here right now today. Meet us. We need you, oh God. We pray this together. In Jesus' name, if you agree, you can say Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And we're going to jump right in to point number one from our text, which is this, the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. Yes, Lord, wake up your church today. Look at verse 14 again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing, Timothy, from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now notice here, man, it's so good to see you, by the way. It's so good to see you. Love you very much. Notice right here, Timothy was raised in the Scriptures, Timothy believed in the scriptures, and now, Paul says, Timothy is to continue in the scriptures. Why such emphasis on the sacred writings, the scriptures? Why? Verse 15, which are able, look carefully, which are able to make you wise for salvation. The necessity of scripture. The point that Paul's making here, inspired by the Spirit of God, No one can be saved apart from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. No one can be saved apart from the gospel, and the gospel is found in the word of God. In some form, in some way, everyone who's ever been genuinely saved in Jesus Christ has been saved through the truth of the gospel, and the gospel is found in the scriptures. It's the truth of the Bible that God uses to save souls. It's the truth of the Bible that the Holy Spirit blesses. It's the truth of the Bible that is absolutely necessary for anyone to truly be saved again in Jesus Christ. A couple of verses on the screen for you to support this, Romans 10. So faith comes by hearing, hearing what? Hearing through the word of Christ, the gospel, the word of God, the Bible. That's how faith is received. It's the message of the gospel. Romans 1 verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel and the word of God is the very power of God for salvation. 
There is no salvation apart from the gospel. The gospel, again, is found in the word of God. Paul is reminding Timothy here. Timothy, listen. No scriptures, no gospel. No gospel, no one gets saved. You don't preach the gospel, man. People aren't getting saved. You're not in the word. You don't have the gospel. Timothy, this is why. The necessity, the necessity of scripture. The Bible is all essential. It contains the path and truth of God of how we are saved in his son, Jesus Christ. Now notice, this is important. Notice in these verses, knowledge of the Bible does not guarantee salvation. Millions, tens of millions over the years have had a knowledge of scripture but have not been genuinely saved in Jesus Christ. The Bible itself has many examples of people so close to Jesus, the Pharisees, with a knowledge, yet they were not saved. Many religions in our day have a knowledge of the gospel, but they are not truly saved. Why? Why? Verse 15. Rather, it's faith in Christ Jesus, it says there. Faith in Christ Jesus revealed in the scriptures that brings salvation. So before we go any further right now, maybe this is for you. Maybe this is for you watching right now. Faith is the key that unlocks the wisdom of salvation that is revealed in the scriptures. Faith is the key that unlocks the wisdom of the gospel, the message of salvation found only in Jesus Christ, which is contained in the Bible and the scriptures itself. But all of this is to point out the necessity of scripture. No Bible, no gospel. No gospel, no salvation. No salvation, done, dead. Can you imagine then as a church, can you imagine then as a professed believer, as someone who claims to follow Jesus Christ, can you imagine either diminishing this book or closing it altogether? Can you imagine that happening? That to me again is biblical insanity. How can you possibly live a life apart from the word of God when its very essence is completely necessary for life and godliness and to follow Christ on any level? How can churches claim to be again followers of Christ where they hardly open this thing at all? I mean, forgive me for being excited about this, man, but listen, if you can't excite about it, I don't know what else to do. This is a massive problem in our day. It should come with energy and urgency. It has to. So many people are dying as a result. A couple of quotes I want you to be aware of right now. J.I. Packer, he said this. He said, if I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible. Yes. Yes. He said, I should do all I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalent of pits, thorns, hedges, social media. Oh, wait, I added that in. And traps to frighten people off. I should have said that in the first service too. That would have been good. All right, next quote here, next quote here. John Wesley, I love this. This is a famous quote for a reason. I'm a creature of a day. I'm a spirit come from God and returning to God and I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. How do I get to heaven? How do I get to heaven? God himself has condescended to teach me the way. How, where, where? He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. Wesley appropriately says, at any price, whatever it takes, at any cost, give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. Because that is the book that shows the pathway to heaven and everlasting life. And I'm telling you, church, this is why the past season we've been in this extended COVID season. 
It is an opportunity, but it's also a tremendous time of susceptibility. Many, many believers, I'm burdened by this. It's been a very dangerous season. They have drifted away from the church, and they have drifted away from the word of God. And the farther you drift away from here and from the Lord, you're drifting away from life and blessing and peace and power. And you're drifting away from the very one who gives life itself. It's a dangerous season we've been in. But it can be a season of great opportunity too. But the Lord has to use it in tremendous ways and I pray that he is. Listen, the necessity of scripture. Number two, the inspiration of scripture. The inspiration of scripture. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. Here we have in this verse one of the clearest and best known statements in scripture about the origin of scripture. The word breathed out there in my translation, it's the Greek word theopneustos. The only time this occurs in the New Testament. For many years and in many translations, this word was translated inspired. So all scripture is inspired by God. Now, the problem with this is that the word inspired over time changed meaning in the English language. The word of God never changes. And the word inspired over time came to mean an inbreathing, or in this way, be like God breathing into, right? Again, the word inspired in the English language from 60 years ago has weakened in its meaning. Oh, I feel very inspired right now. I'm motivated. That kind of thing. The word has weakened in its meaning. God's word, again, does not change. Therefore, we have to change the English translation to adjust properly to the original Greek meaning and context. And so that's why in my Bible, the ESV, again, it says, all scripture has been breathed out now by God. Or breathed out, God breathed is another way to say it too, because this is what God has done. Listen carefully. God did not breathe into the scriptures. God did not breathe into the authors. It's not what it's saying. Rather, he breathed out the scriptures. In other words, Erwin Lutzer, he says this, the Bible, metaphorically speaking, is the breath of God. More clarity. God did not just approve the scriptures. Rather, he breathed them out, meaning God is the full source of all scripture. When we talk about the doctrine of inspiration, it means then the words of scripture are God's very words, all their words and the meaning. Let's get more clarity. Here's what the doctrine of inspiration is not. I take this from John MacArthur. Here's what it's not. It is not high-level human achievement. Uh, the Bible is not human masterpiece. Think about it. No person could ever invent the person of Jesus Christ. What human author could write a book, would write a book that damns the whole human race left to themselves? Next, inspiration is not, is not only the spiritual matters of the Bible, but not the scientific, historical, or geographical matters of the Bible. For all scripture to be breathed out by God, the entire Bible has been breathed out by God, every word verbal, and its meaning plenary. We get the term verbal, plenary, inspiration. That's what we believe of the inspiration of scripture. Also this, inspiration is not mechanical dictation. 
The authors were not robots uh, writing down one word at a time. It wasn't God saying to Moses, in, in, the, the, beginning, beginning, God, God. It's not how that worked. Their personalities came shining through. The Bible differs in style and vocabulary. Luke was a doctor. Paul was a lawyer. Peterman was, Peter was a fisherman. You can tell, again, through the writings. So get this, and I love this. The Bible, then, is what is called a theanthropic book. Theos, the Greek word for God. Anthropos, the word for man. Combine those together. A theanthropic book. The Bible, then, is both fully divine and fully human. The primary cause is God. The secondary cause is man. All of this under the perfect sovereignty and direction of God. All scripture has been breathed out by God. Some of you right now, you're saying, hey, um, that's really helpful and good, but another verse would also be helpful. I say amen, let's do that. Let's get another verse on the screen for you. In terms of the inspiration, again, of the word of God, Second Peter chapter 1. By the way, I have my Bible reading plan. The back of my Bible, I do it literally every day. And I literally today, one of my passages was Second Peter chapter 1. Bam, how awesome is that? I was so encouraged, man. I got there, here we go. Here we go, locked and loaded, ready, so excited about that. In 2 Peter 1 and verses 19 too, it's so powerful where Peter says that we have something even more fully confirmed referring to the transfiguration of Christ, which is the word of God, a lamp shining in a dark place. You will do well to pay attention to it, he says, especially as the return of Christ draws near. That's verse 19. Then he goes into verse 20. How's that for timing today? Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture. Just to clarify that, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Ever. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word carried along is also used in Acts 27 for a ship moving across the water. The sails were set, the wind blows again into the sails, and the ship moves. The authors, again, here referred to, they set their sails, the Holy Spirit comes and blows and guides them along, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So to recap, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is the nature of inspiration God breathed. 2 Peter chapter 1 here is the method of inspiration, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So notice it's pretty clear how Peter viewed inspiration and Paul viewed inspiration. What about the rest of the Bible? Do you know that there are more than 3,800 times in the Bible, 3,800 times where we find a statement with such a ring as, thus says the Lord. Over 3,800 times. The Old Testament repeatedly claims to be the very words of God over and over again. The Old Testament, Peter, Paul. But here's a question I would have if I were you right now that we should care deeply about too. What about Jesus? What was Jesus' view on inspiration? What was Jesus' view on Scripture? I've taught this several times in the past several years and I'm so blessed by it. I was so blessed by it when I first came up with it too. Norm Geisler shares a very powerful summary of how Jesus viewed scripture. I want you to see them here on the screen as well. Now, by the way, um, this, this for those who are part of Hope Bible Church and anyone else, of course, who wants to, this is your homework right now, okay? So one of the few times I'm gonna ask you to pull out your phone and take a picture. 
going to encourage you and challenge you. Pull out your phone. Take a picture of this screen right here. If you want me to pose, I'm not going to do it, all right? Maybe choose that one over there, all right, or that one over there, whatever it might be, okay? I want you, as homework today, I want you to go study all these passages and be so encouraged by the view of Jesus as he relates to Scripture, all right? That's good, man. I'd like to see you all doing that. That's so good. Do that before your head hits the pillow tonight. Go through this and study these verse references and be blessed yourself of how Jesus, again, views Scripture. Let me very briefly go through this, okay? Jesus affirmed the divine authority of Scripture. When he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness three times, it is written. He, he sent Satan running by the authority of Scripture, it is written. Satan, be gone. Jesus affirmed its imperishability. In Matthew 5, Jesus says not one dot or iota will pass away from God's word. That language he uses is the English equivalent to the dot on a small I. The very dot will not be removed from the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. Jesus asserted its infallibility or unbreakability. In John 10, scripture cannot be broken. Jesus declared its ultimate supremacy. In Matthew chapter 15, he said scripture trumps any uh, tradition of men. Scripture is where we get our authority, not on the ways or the wisdom of the world. Jesus affirmed its factual inerrancy. In John 17, 17, again, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word, again, is truth without error written by God. Jesus insisted on its historical reliability. Isn't it interesting, in the Gospels, if you were to take in the Old Testament the two most disputed and mocked stories in the Bible. By the way, the creation conference yesterday, we were here. Such a good follow-up to that. Creation conference was a blessing, man. I hope you're able to take part in that somehow, some way. It is such an important time, again, for the day that we live. But back to this. The two most disputed stories in the Old Testament the world laughs and mocks at. What would they be? Noah's Ark and Jonah and the whale. Right? Laughing loud. The two, the two stories Jesus directly references as historical fact, Jonah, Matthew 12, and then in Matthew 24, Noah's Ark. Love it. Wasn't a joke to Jesus. And finally, Jesus affirmed its scientific accuracy. In Matthew 19 and Mark 13, Jesus refers back, God created the world and he created them male and female, it says. Jesus, without a doubt, relying again on that, which is so utterly clear. That's your homework for today. I pray it will bless you as you are encouraged so much as your own Savior and how he treated the word of God. Now, one of the things in a message like this that we would maybe do in the past, we don't have time to do today, is we would go on right now to the doctrine of inerrancy, which is a massive part and stems from inspiration. But what we've done instead, and there'll be a slide on the screen for you right here, we have an inerrancy addendum that we have created. We've taken the notes that we would normally provide and we put it on this very nice looking addendum here that you can take a picture of that QR code right now. You can download this from our resources. Again, this is more part of what I'm asking you to do to be Bible students in the word of God and to study for yourself that you might be so encouraged. What does it mean? Again, this is obviously just a two-pager. You could write 
20,000 pages on this, okay? But it's a start, the doctrine of inerrancy and how important this is. One of the things I'll just read for you on the back here. Did you know that we have nearly 5,700 New Testament manuscripts? And we possess, we possess 5,700 New Testament manuscripts that contain all or nearly all of the original text compared to other historical documents that might have six manuscripts. We have 5,700 and counting, and we can reconstruct the original text with over 99% accuracy. 99% is pretty good. What about the other 1%? Most of the remaining 1% that is questionable is about trivial matters like spelling errors or synonyms. Only about 1% of the 1% that is actually questionable affects the text's meaning to some degree, and it affects no major doctrines. So quick math then. We absolutely and completely know 99.99% of the original manuscripts and the remaining 0.01% affects absolutely nothing major when it comes to understanding the truth of God's word. And then it has this next little part here where it says you can have 100% of the truth without having 100% of the text. And we give a little illustration there which will encourage you. You say, what is it? Well, you have to get it to find out, all right? There you go, all right? It's really good. I mean, the doctrine of inerrancy, it is so important and so awesome. All scripture breathed out by God. Loved ones, we have so much reason to be so encouraged. The absolute evidence that we have, that we hold in our hands, the very book of God is overwhelming and tremendous. And loved ones, that's why this teaching is so important. Because it changes how you look at this book. Listen, this is infinitely more than a good read. This is the book of books, supernatural. God's given it to us again for the path of life and the path of blessing. Tell me now, the book that sits on your shelf collecting dust, that is such a grievous sin. There's something totally wrong in someone's theology when they allow this book to remain unopened for such extended periods of time. There's just something wrong. The biggest impetus for myself in terms of being a student and loving God's word is I convince myself on a daily basis, Robbie, if you want to love God more, you have to be in his word more because his word reveals who God is and that what allows me to love him. And I'm convinced if I'm not reading his word, then my mind is filled with the filth of the world and I become misled and led to destruction. But God's word renews and reminds and cleanses and leads and shines light and gives light life and blessing and power and fulfillment because it's all the promises that the word makes. Every day I tell myself that in some way, in some form. That's why I get up first thing I do. Almost every day I live, first thing I do, get up in the Bible, in the word, seeking God because I don't know any other way. I can't survive without him. And neither can you. This, is, this truth isn't just for pastor boy up here, man. It's, it's, just, it's, it's for every single person who claims to know and love Jesus Christ. This is the battle of our day, isn't it? Literally breathed out by God. All scripture has been breathed out by God. I, I commend you with everything I have. Breathe it in. Breathe in the word of God. The necessity of scripture, the inspiration of scripture, and thirdly and finally, the sufficiency of scripture the sufficiency of Scripture. Look at the remaining part of our text now. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Wow. Why? That the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I mean, look, look, church, look at the claims that the Bible is making again about itself. Where else can you find such claims of such power? Notice in verse 16 the four uses of the Bible. The four uses of the Bible in verse 16. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Let's break these down. Teaching. The Bible is profitable for teaching. The Bible is 100% sound doctrine. Not 99, it's 100. It points to the path of truth. It's the perfect, healthy diet. It will never lead you astray. Its instruction is flawless. Its promises are perfect. It teaches us the way of life. It teaches us. That's why it makes me so sad for how many believers don't know God's teaching. It makes me so sad how many people who profess Christ still remain so biblically illiterate. It just doesn't, something's not adding up there. Listen, profitable for teaching. You're like, where do I go in life? I'm telling you, I mean, the more you get this book open with a sincere heart and a humble heart, you will be led where you're supposed to go in life. You will be taught the way of truth. You will be guided into the way of blessing. You will be pursuing the path of Jesus Christ. You will be led to the Savior who loves you more than you could ever imagine. You will read the gospel. You will be instructed in wisdom and life-giving again. The blessing that he provides, this is what this book is purposed to do. It teaches us the path of life. You close it, and then you're ignorant of the path of life. You open it, and you're taught again. And notice he says here, it's profitable for reproof. Reproof can also mean rebuking. That's good. That's true. How many times over the centuries has Scripture been used to expose false teaching? Thousands and thousands and thousands. Where would we be without the truth of the Bible? We'd be lost. We'd be done. How many times have you and I been personally rebuked by God's Word because God loves us so much? When you open up God's word and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and me, we get rebuked in love. We are rebuked. And when God does it, he does it perfectly. And we receive that rebuke. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We are, we are redirected. We are showing our error. When we open God's word, what happens is often we like to hide in our closets of darkness and fulfilling our own pleasure of sin. But then the, 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 the word of God comes in, flies open that closet door, and the light shines in for a moment. We're like, oh, like this. And we're exposed in our sinful pleasures, our sinful desires. But God says, I'm shining light on your sin to lead you from that place that you might now be rebuked in what you've been doing wrong, but now led to what is right and in the blessing that God has for us. The word of God does this. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, and then next it makes sense for Correction. Correction. That word literally means um, a straightening up again. Restoring something to its proper condition. It was also used in ancient times, that word in the Greek correction, it was used for uh, resetting a broken arm. So imagine an arm that was broken into and then resetting it so that the bones might heal properly. This is what God's word does. It corrects us. It comes up to marriages that are broken 
that have busted and have hurt themselves in sin. And the word God comes and instructs them to put their spiritual bones back in place that they might heal and now be corrected along the path that would please the Lord and bring blessing upon their life. The word of God is used to correct, to align us now again with God's word. If you close this book, you are led astray from the path of God. You open this book and you are set in place. You are in God's will. You are being led to what is right and true, what is joy, what is love, what is life, what is blessing. Timothy, you gotta, you gotta be a man of the book. You can't fight the fight without it. It's impossible. And then Paul says, and for training in righteousness... How about that, eh? The Bible is used to disciple and train us in righteousness. Wow, like look at that for a second. To train us in righteousness. Where else can you get that? To be trained in righteousness. Loved ones, we've got to wake up to the sufficiency of God's word. And we also must repent of our neglect of it. His word is used to train us in righteousness, which flows into verse 17. Notice that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Wow, just like look at that for a second. Look at the result here. The word complete means that you are qualified or now you're in shape. You are fit for the task. Trained in the word of God, you are fit for the task of what God has. Equipped means similarly fully furnished. You are supplied. You have been outfitted appropriately for the life that you are called to live. This is what the word of God does. It completes and it equips us to be ready for the work of God. Imagine a contractor showing up to a job without his tools. Imagine a professor showing up to a class without her education. Imagine a Christ follower showing up to life without the word. Good luck with that one. And again, I don't believe in luck. Because it's not about luck. It's about wisdom. It's about being complete. It's about being equipped. It's about being ready for every good work. Loved ones, God wrote a book. God wrote a book, and notice right here too, like some people say, man, I want to I see fruit for God. I want to see fruit for God. This verse is telling us so, so clearly here, you will not see a readiness for the good work of God apart from the word of God. You can't do it. It's all right here. It's growing in Christ. It's looking like him. It's having scripture being breathed in. It's being trained in righteousness to be complete and equipped and then ready for every, ready for every good work. The good work comes from the pursuit and knowledge and the transformation from God's word within our lives. That's why then, loved ones, ready? That's why then a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Because God wrote a book. Maybe a few things I encourage you right now as we close this message. Maybe number one, pray. Pray so much that the truth of this message would be secured in your heart. Pray. Pray for a hunger for the truth of God. Pray for a a, a clearness of the sin and the idols that prevent you. Secondly, plan. Make a plan. Make a plan. In my Bible right here again, here's my reading plan. 
to my reading plan, pull it out every single morning, and I look, where am I today? Four chapters a day. I don't get to all four every day. I get to a whole bunch. There it is. It's just simple. I have my journal beside me. There I am seeking the Lord every single morning because, I just, again, I have to do that. There's, there's a plan and a place. I meet the Lord every day because I don't know what else to do. Pray and, and plan and then seek to have accountability. I mean, think of our Hope Institute. Think of our groups right now. Think of the different you know, courses being offered and just knowing Christ maybe as, a, as, a, as an introduction. Think of all the love we seek to establish in community here for these purposes to be more like Christ, to, to grow in Him. Again, what, what really sobers me, I'll finish with this. At the end of the day, so many will stand before Jesus Christ and have to give an account. Do you know how many pastors will stand before God in judgment and have to give an account what they did with the entrusted word of God, which is absolutely precious to the Lord because he wrote it, and they will have to explain to God in the midst of his incredible glory, they will have to explain to him why they closed the very book, the one thing he gave to the church to see them bear fruit and see him get glory from their lives. That's terrifying to me. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? What excuse will you have with 17 Bibles sitting around your house? What are they going to say? I don't know. All I know, man, is before the Lord and the fear of God, myself, family, and for all of you trying so hard to say, God, help us to be people of the book. Not that we worship the book, worship the Savior revealed in the book. God, help us. Amen? Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us? And you will. Oh, Lord, I pray that this message is just sowing such powerful seeds right now. Maybe for the first time. Maybe, maybe there's people here or watching at home. They've never heard a message like this. They've never heard the clarity of what God's word says about God's word. Lord, I, just, I praise you've done in my life so many times in the past. Just these moments of just utter, just, just again, profound moments of wisdom to say, I get it. I see it. What am I doing? And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, just would you allow this message to ring in the ears Day after day and week after week and month and year after year, Lord, I preach this message to myself every day I live because I need to hear it as the enemy comes in and says, watch this or do this or be lazy here or don't do that or anything but the word. Every day I gotta be like, no, but it's my lifeline to Jesus. If I don't have this, I have nothing. So God, thank you for your grace today. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. But thank you for your challenge. Thank you for your word. I do pray, Hope Bible Church, wow, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the men and women of God will be complete and equipped as much as ever for every good work. Do it, Lord. As we sing this song, I pray it's a genuine plea for help. Without you, Lord, we fall apart. Without you, we fall apart. So lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song.